Woo, baby! Did you miss the Golden Stallion? I don't think you missed me because I've been getting out so much content in the past couple weeks. Boy, if you notice my voice, uh, I'm a little nasally right now. I actually, I almost never, ever get sick. And not that I feel sick necessarily. I'm a little under the weather, but I don't know. Just got a funny, yeah, just my nose got stuffy or whatever. Been having to, you know, blow it over and over again. And I've uh, been taking zinc. That always works very well. Of course, a wonderful trick taught to me by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. But anyway, if you are wondering about the sound quality, why doesn't the stallion sound just so smooth? Uh, <laughs> but that is that is why. Uh, oh, boy. Talk about another thing. You know, I spend so much time, uh, you know, throughout the day, like staring at screens. I I am, I am so fucking sick of it, you know, and I'm going to tell you something that might sound ironic, but I mean this, the ironic thing is, is that I'm almost to the point of believing that as much as a tech enthusiast and a tech journalist that I am and a gamer all, all the way. Okay. I'm almost thinking that like when you, you know, you've made it in life when you can permanently go AFK you know, away from keyboard, like when you never have to look at another screen or you never have to touch another keyboard again, really. Now, maybe that's not, that's not possible. I mean, if you hire somebody to do it for you, certainly I think it's possible, but, but I think that's going to be, that should be like the real sign of wealth today because I, I mean, there are moments where I, I just like, you know, I just have to stop and like, you know, I just kind of raise my hands in the air and you know, I'd like, I can't do it anymore, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And I have to stop because uh, the various jobs I do, you know, oh, oh, man. Anyway, so but let's get into some Q&A here. You didn't you, you didn't come here to listen to me complain. Well, maybe you do. I mean, that's that's a lot of times on Tech. Admittedly, it's not all I do. But holy shit, do I do it a lot <laughs> because, well, there's so much to complain about, especially in the tech world. Uh, I mean, it just gets it just keeps piling up. Uh, I mean, it's amazing what's happening with. Here's another thing I'll tell you. So if you listened uh, last week, I released that uh, 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 Google episode where I talked about the pixel and about, you know, the whole 10-4 event and all this. And certainly had a lot of complaints about that, you know, between the pixel and between what's happening with um like with Samsung where you know yeah it's one in 30,000 phones but you can't take the risk but like where where the you know Note 7s even the replaced ones even the ones that you know people is that that or that Samsung has sent back out are still blowing up i mean you know they're li- like they're literally exploding it, it it's crazy you know i mean it, you know they're little balls of fire good and it's gracious great balls of Note 7s uh, you know, with all that and like with all the exclusivity that Google is pushing on Android, you know, it like it's it's almost to the point where if somebody said to me, hey, I'm buying an iPhone, I'd be like, I don't blame you. You know, or if you bought like a Windows 10 phone, even of all things, I'd be like, I don't blame you because it's just like it feels like it really feels like Android is is becoming a losing battle. Uh, you know, with, with Google probably going to be pushing more of having very exclusive content available only on Google branded phones as in, you know, pixel phones or whatever else, uh, with Samsung, you know, having this tragedy effectively happen. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I worry that eventually like there's going to be a lot of, a lot of apps that in the next year or two are only going to be available on like pixel phones, you know, or whatever Google branded phones end up being. 
Uh, I mean, that, that, that's the direction I think things are going. And so a lot of, honestly, now, that's not reason for despair, in my opinion, because a lot of, how to put this, uh, I think a lot of the unique apps that that make smartphones seemingly so necessary, I mean, like banking apps or whatever the hell else you happen to use, I think a lot of that is going to go in the direction of maybe web portals or, or you know, more more interactive like web apps effectively and all this to where you really won't need, you know, you know, if you wanted to, you could probably get away without having a smartphone, you know, entirely. Um, I mean, it's just it's just a theory, you know, I mean, especially like with UWP, if you have a Windows 10 machine, maybe you could, you know, you could pull that off because it's so easy seemingly to port fucking anything into a, you know, universal Windows app. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I'm not recommending using Windows. I'm just saying it's the operating system most people use. It's the operating system most sovereign tech listeners use. So, of course, I fucking talk about it, man. You you can't. You can't believe sometimes the shit I get when, you know, anytime I talk about it was like, why are you even bothering talking about Windows? Because it's what people fucking use. You know, that's why I talk about it. Okay. I mean, oh, you know, I, I, anyway, <laughs> that there's whatever gets shit done for you, go for it. Okay. And honestly, if that means a pixel phone, go for it. Uh, you, you know, whatever that, that ends up happening to be, you know, d- d- do it. All right. I'm not, uh, that's, that's the most important thing is getting shit done in life. All right. Uh, but I have recommendations for what direction a lot of this technology should go, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I've, you know, I talk about that stuff all the time, but, and I mean, the direction simple choice. Everything should be about choice, uh, you know, at the end of the day. And, you know, actually I got a, I got an email from a a new Patreon subscriber, uh, kind of asking about, you know, speaking of what direction, you know, a lot of software and technology, technology should go. Uh, they're pretty much asking, you know, is if you go to darkandroid.info, which again, the dark Android project is all about just showing people how they can get rid of Google from their Android device and still have it be very functional and usable. Um, they asked me, you know, is all of that still up to date? You know, how is any of it outdated? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I have plans to update all of that in very interesting ways. Um, I've been working on that for a while. Uh, one of those reasons I have to stop looking at screens sometimes. Um, but the only thing that's really out of date on that is, uh, well, Telegram might be using Telegram might be out of date. You can still get Telegram from Afteroid. I know that, but it might be some versions behind. I have to look into that. But the one thing that's gone is chat secure for Android is no longer a thing. Um, now they use conversations.im and I think there's a, there's another one called zoom. Okay. Which zoom is actually a fork of chat secure, but I don't know that you can get zoom in the, uh, you know, in the F droid store conversations.im is a little more interesting. Like they have a website and you can find out how to get your hands on everything. Uh, but, and I think that's actually a pay for app. So yeah, I mean, things, th- th- those are kind of the, the big areas that have, that have changed. And honestly, it is really problematic if both Telegram and Chat Secure, you know, effectively, if, you know, chat apps are not available, you know, in the F-Droid store, that does change up, you know, how effective dark Android is. Um, so, but, you know, I, I'm, 
that will be updated very soon. Uh, and, you know, with a lot of new suggestions and there's always new developments anyway that you can take advantage of. There, there's there's plenty of that. There, there's more than just chat secure or, you know, Telegram or uh, I mean, and people already have a bunch of issues with Telegram anyway. So whatever. But I mean, it's a little concerning because, you know, Signal requires uh, dependencies from the Google Play Store. So many things require dependencies from the Google Play Store, you know, the ability of doing I mean, and that's that's kind of my point is that like with the Pixel phones, Google's doing so much to create such a unique experience that they're trying to lure people in with. I mean, maybe people won't get lured in, I hope, but maybe they won't, uh, you know, or maybe they will. But like, yeah, Android is I don't want to say it's losing its luster. It's still the best mobile operating system in the world. OK, but like it is. It is moving in the wrong direction, something we've known for a good long while. I mean, there's always going to be AOSP just is what's available for AOSP, the, you know, the open source version of, of Android is what's available for that going to make it functional enough to where people can get away without using the Google Play Store or with, you know, de-Googling. I mean, if you keep the Google Play Store, you could probably do whatever, but or you know, you can do whatever. But that was kind of the thing is that that's sort of a, you know, I think that that's a security flaw. Or is it, it's potential exploit, the Google Play Store, uh, in many ways. So anyway, enough of that. Uh, but th that answers that, is that largely, I mean, especially the anonymity principles, which are the most important aspect of dark Android. And it's just a simple couple paragraphs of what to do, you know, how to be anonymous, how to anonymously use a device, not necessarily the, uh, you know, the apps and all that. I mean, a lot of that's still fresh and update, like Rush Wallet still exists. That's a great thing to use. Uh, a bunch of that stuff is, you know, is still totally valid, um, you know, using Orfox. Orfox just got a huge update, actually. Uh, so, you know, that's still up to date and really, you know, the things you can do inside of a Firefox based web browser are phenomenal. You know, you don't even really need chat apps as long as you have that. Uh, so, you know, the, the updates to Orfox, which it took forever for Orfox to get up, to get updated. Uh, so, I mean, but that's all the more important now, you know, to be able to, uh, to, to use that. But anyway, I forgot exactly where I, where I was going uh, with all of that, but whatever. I mean, ev everything's still largely up to date, you know, on that, but I, I will be doing a refresh. That's, uh, that's the bottom line there. So, okay. Um, why don't we get into the questions? We got a few here and one of them's actually, so I, I'm going to be having a guest on again. So Patreon subscribers, you get a heads up. I'm having a guest on again this week on, on Sovereign Tech. This will be was episode 197. Woo! Almost episode 199, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to be able to get to like a lot of the, you know, hot and happening news, perhaps some of the current events that we do in the random access and all this. Um, so somebody emailed me a story that I think is really important. Okay. And I will put a link in the show notes for this story so that you can find out exactly how to solve this problem if you're using Firefox, but I want to bring this up. Um, and there's some people who are not taking it very seriously saying, I think, you know, this has to do with solid state drives. And there are kind of two schools of thought on solid state drives that some say, Oh no, they're going to last forever. You know, with the, the newest versions of NAND and everything that they're using in it, or, you know, Intel's new, new, uh, you know, Ram setup, uh, that's really exciting, which we've talked about on, on sovereign tech in the past. A lot of these things are going to make these read write 
concerns because, you know, solid state drives, you can only read and write to them so many times. They have a limited, uh, you know, use in that, uh, that those concerns really aren't that bad. And that, you know, some people are already seeing solid state drives last them much longer than even their traditional hard drives, which, you know, you're lucky if they lasted or, you know, for some people, they're lucky if it lasted five years. I mean, I've had, I have, you know, I have a good old fashioned, you know, platinum hard drives that have, you know, have literally lasted me over a decade. Uh, that doesn't mean I put a lot of faith in them, but, but I mean, they have lasted, you know, and there's really not, I mean, I, I might run spin right on them or something like that. Uh, but there really isn't any, any, you know, degradation or, you know, any, any issues, uh, you know, as, as far as, uh, you know, data goes. Uh, so anyway, with solid state drives, you have a limited read, write capability. And so what was, what was found out recently, someone noticed that Firefox tabs on Firefox were writing to hard drives. And this does, this doesn't, I mean, this happens on any computer, anything running Firefox. Okay. Um, you know, whether it has a solid state drive or not to keep the tabs open. And, and what I mean by that is to store tabs. Okay. Like when you close Firefox, you know, those stabs, those stabs, those tabs <laughs> stay stored so that when you open it back up, whoop, everything comes, you know, back up just where you left off and all this, uh, or to keep tabs refreshed, blah, blah, blah. Um, doing that Firefox was effectively writing a cache at all, you know, was caching these tabs to the tune of, uh, some people have said that like in a day there'd be 23 gigs written. You know, just from one tab being open, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, like, because it was just constantly refreshing, refreshing. I mean, it depends on, you know, the website and all of this. But I mean, you know, this is really serious. Now, the website that got, you know, where, where I was made aware of this. All right. Um, you know, it wasn't wasn't like, you know, it wasn't TechCrunch, wasn't VentureBeat or not not to say that you need to put a whole lot of stock in them either. But it wasn't as you know, it wasn't a, a you know readily recognizable site. But then I was listening to Security Now a couple of weeks ago and they mentioned it, uh, you know, like like and Steve Gibson, who is a I mean, he's a creator of Spinrite that I just mentioned, you know, an absolute hard drive professional. Uh, you know, he was saying. No, this is bad. And he did his own research on it. And he said, this is scary as shit. And he also discovered that this is also true for Chrome. It's also true for Opera. It's also true for Safari. Pretty much every web browser is doing this if you have a bunch of these tabs open. Okay, it's just constantly writing on to a solid state drive. Now, maybe the solid state, solid state drive will be fine. Maybe. But that's a whole, I mean, potentially, especially 23 gigs, one tab. Ooh. I, that's fucked up, you know, now understand, I don't think this is anything bad. I don't think Mozilla was doing anything necessarily wrong. I think, you know, this is just a feature from a time before solid state drives, you know, just like, um, uh, Google Chrome. Okay. So I don't think like there's the problem where Google Chrome drains, drains laptop batteries. Now, I don't think that Google didn't was doing anything nefarious by that. In fact, it's stupid for them. Like it, it there is no business sense whatsoever to have Chrome drain batteries like it's not a nefarious thing. And I'm not saying that this, you know, this, this constant tab caching is a nefarious thing either. OK, don't confuse me. 
But what I'm saying is like with Google Chrome, where it was draining batteries on, on like Windows and Mac laptops because it ran at higher cycles than the operating system could generally ha- handle. And so it would drain the battery like, you know, sometimes 40 percent faster than if you weren't running Google Chrome. I mean, it's just, you know, it's insane numbers. But they did that because at the time, Google Chrome was, you know, a powerhouse for powerhouse desktops. You know, like it was mainly, you know, the, the desktop PC was still a big deal. When Chrome first came out, Um, I really feel and I know I mean, I've had laptops for a while, but I, you know, personally, I don't think laptops became a huge deal. Um, And I don't think they really became portable until like, well, really until the netbooks came out, like when Asus had the first netbook. What was that? 2008, 2009, something like that, maybe 2010. That's when I first saw, you know, when I first grabbed a laptop and I was like, wow. Now this, that's a laptop. This is the real shit. You know, battery lasts a good long while and it's, you know, it's small, but there's still a very functional keyboard on it. This is, you know, I'm running, you know, whatever operating system and they used to run Linux. Great. Those things. And, you know, you just be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now laptops are the real deal. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum at that same time frame, 2009, 2010 is when MSI started making, you know, a lot of their GT GTX series where they were baking into a laptop Every fucking technology connector, radio, whatever, you know, into their laptops. And finally, you said, okay, this is literally a mobile workstation, finally. So, you know, I know, I know laptops have been around for a long time. You know, I used to have, I I had a power book. I had an iBook, uh, you know, back in the day. I mean, and, and I had a Windows CE machine. I mean, you know, I've, I've used all that stuff, but like you didn't, you didn't really have either a genuine portability or B desktop class performance until really just not even a decade ago. Okay. So Google Chrome, you know, when it, when you found out that, holy shit, this, this browser's draining batteries, it's because really it comes from a time where laptops weren't the thing. Yeah, like that. That's I mean, there's yeah, I know it, it's bad for RAM and all that, even though supposedly they're going to fix that in version 55 of Chrome. Um, that's all true. But that, it's just the nature of the beast, you know, of its time. It's And I think it's the same with this tab refresh thing is that they didn't think about, you know, there being a concern with constant read writes. It's just like Linux. OK, you know, Linux has, uh, you know, has the, uh, uh, the, you know, the main caching file there, right? The swap, uh, the swap disk. And or the swap file, whatever swap partition <laughs> took me a second, you know, be patient with me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not at hundred percent. All right. But, uh, you know, the swap partition, which that became a concern, you know, when, when, when solid state drive started becoming a thing and we realized how great it was to have it, like say in laptops, uh, you know, I remember a bunch of buddies of mine, we instantly thought of the swap partition. We're like, uh, you know, this, this can't be good because that's a partition where things are just getting, you know, it's getting used effectively like Ram where shit's just getting written, written, you know, overwritten, you know, read, blah, 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 you know, nonstop. And it used to be that when you would install Ubuntu, they would say, you know, if you're using a solid state drive, you know, just say no to the swap partition. All right. So, I mean, you know, yes, solid state drives are getting better. So maybe this isn't necessarily a concern, but Unless you're a person that's buying, you know, the really high, you know, the high end, uh, you know, Samsung 850 Evos or something like that, or whatever the, you know, new model number is this year, uh, I'd be a little worried. So I'll put the link in the show notes. You can find out how to turn this whole, you know, this this, uh, tab caching, you know, again, that's writing gigabytes and gigabytes a day. All right. Uh, Potentially, anyway. 
You can find out how to turn it off in Firefox, but here's the rub, okay? Now, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the one web browser that doesn't do it is Microsoft Edge, which is very interesting. Of course, I think that reason might be is because Edge is an app before it's really a web browser, like as in a mobile app, effectively. You know, I mean, if you've you've tried out Edge, you, you know what I mean. Like, it doesn't act like a normal piece of, you know, Win32 software or, you know, a normal, you know, package of some kind. Uh, you know, it really acts very, uh, you know, in a very unique style. And so because I think it was made mobile first, a lot of that's, or, you know, not mobile first, but app first, like tablet first, you know, it, it, it just, it has a different design language overall, I guess you could say. Because of that, I think that's why they didn't do the tab caching because, you know, they expect it to be used in a very different way. Not to say that it can't do tabs, but it's ironic because edge Microsoft edge, when I have used it, when it gets into multiple tabs, that's where it does start to run into a problem because normally it's a very fast. And again, it's the second most secure browser in the, on the planet today. Okay. I'm not saying use Microsoft stuff. All right. And I said, secure, not private. Those are two different things. Um, but you know, when it get, when it gets into multiple tabs, it starts to run into, you know, it's, it starts to it feels like it lags a little bit and you can almost tell that it's not tab caching because the tab oftentimes dependent upon the machine, the tabs will have to refresh. Uh, and, and sometimes it looks like it's not like storing the page. It's literally like revisiting the page. Uh, so maybe that's, what's going on there. Now, when you turn off the tab caching on Firefox, you are going to notice you know, you're probably going to notice a performance difference uh, and your ability to just start off, you know, restore a previous session and all that in the browser uh, will be a little different. OK, so there's a trade off certainly to be had there. Um, I mean, you know, but the thing is, is that Google, Opera, Safari, all those. I don't think there we nobody's found a way to turn it off. Like there's no flag that lets you turn it off as to where when you go to about colon config in Firefox, you can. So, well, I mean, you know, it's, it speaks very well of open source. This is the beauty of when you have a really open source, really, you know, user customizable web browser, because you could turn this kind of shit off that unintentionally you find out is, is you know, could do serious harm uh, to your hard drive, you know, and then that's what's, you know, how much is more important than the hard drive. Uh, so. That's a thing. I, I, you know, I wanted to let you know about that. Uh, some people emailed me um, about it, and I know I wasn't going to be able to get to it in this week's episode. Uh, Sovereign Tech. I talked about it on Twitter, and you know, and on various social media and all that. You know, as soon as I found out about it and did a little personal research on the matter. Um, but you know, keep keep that in mind. Again, it's nothing malicious. No one's doing anything nefarious here. It's just, it's just, it's a byproduct of a different time of a you know a different time in PCs. That's all. Um, I mean, it sucks that you can't, it doesn't appear you can fix it in Chrome. It's interesting that you can do it in Edge. You know, something else that was interesting I learned about with uh, Microsoft Edge. And as far as I know, this is only going to be getting released to enterprise users, at least at first, which is probably where they're going to test bed it, which is a great place to test bed things in the enterprise. I mean, you can say because, you know, business software, you know, it's, it's so mission critical, you don't want to take any chances. Well, at the same time, most, you know, in, in the enterprise space, not the final frontier, you, they really like, they have a hotline effectively to people at Microsoft. I mean, they pay for that. So Microsoft can get on, you know, can get on it very quickly. Uh, and, and so it's actually a great place really to test a lot of that out in my opinion, but what they're testing out or, you know, what they're implementing is that, uh, 
Microsoft Edge actually works in like a, a very light virtual machine. And so it's totally sandboxed from the rest of the system. Totally. I mean, that's, that is the right way to do it. I mean, this is the thing with Edge is that because it's a new browser, it's able to be really state of the art. Like it's able to take advantage of, you know, new platforms, new ideas and all this. And it doesn't really be, I mean, I get it. It'd be nice if it was available for Windows 7. I believe me, there are people that want it on Windows 7. I know you might be laughing or something because they, look, it's not Internet Explorer, folks. And I'm not praising Microsoft. I'm just saying that this is the right way to do things. OK. Um, but the, but that's the advantage is that they said, no, this is only going to work with Windows 10. And so they can look forward. They don't have to do backwards compatibility or anything like that. They can just keep going forward and implement a lot of new secure code. Again, second most secure browser in the world. Uh, and they can, you know, they can solve a lot of these, you know, really legacy problems that that happen with software. You know, now that we have new form factors and, you know, new new technologies like solid state hard drives and all this that are, you know, very popular now. Uh, I mean, it's a great thing to have something that, you know, that that can really, you know, uh, solve that or, you know, pay attention to that or recognize that uh, and to do to run a web browser. I mean, you can run cubes OS. That's Q-U-B-E-S. Uh, you know, you can run cubes OS and that literally runs everything in a web, you know, in a in a sandbox, like in a little virtual machine. Knock yourself out, you know, but it'd be great if Microsoft released this light VM enclosed version of edge to everybody that way the average person could take advantage of it um you know because the average person unfortunately as much as i wish it were true are not going to install cubes os i wish they would but they won't uh so or at least it ain't happening right now uh and you know it's it's so important that people think about security and privacy with their computers i in my opinion when you whenever you have a computer that is like just priority number 1 is thinking about security you know and and privacy even though i i think they're part and parcel they are two separate things so i mention them that way uh but you know think about how to lock that down i mean that's just that's just good practices because if everybody did that then a lot of these problems that get announced a lot of the you know exploits and bugs and zero days and all this shit you know, could become almost meaningless. Some of them, I mean, zero days, there's a reason they're called zero days, but they could become meaningless and they won't affect everybody else because everybody's practicing good digital hygiene, as it were, okay? Uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's enough uh, enough of that. Link in the show notes for how to how to solve that if you want to. If you don't want to, if you think, you know, your solid state drive is fine. I mean, there's evidence to say that solid state drives now, you know, are rock solid and you're not going to run into these issues. And that that could very well be true. Uh, myself, I, I turned it off, but you know, I'm just, I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> Speaking of security, here's a, here's actually a great question from somebody on Twitter, uh, who's also a patron, but how did you best learn computer security by reading computer security books or hands-on experience? Um, okay. So uh, yeah, th- great question. It was really like, how did I learn about computer security? So, for, all right, first, first uh, question to answer really is, how did I get into computers? Well, my dad has always had a computer. Like, I mean, he's just, he was one of those guys, you know, I mean, worked on Voyager 2. I mean, you know, he's just very, he was, a, he's a very technical, you know, he's an engineer uh, guy. And so we've always had, you know, we've always had computers. We had some of the original Apple, like Apple II style laptops and all this, you know, where they had the double disk drives and everything. Um, you know, I've always had computers around. 
even though I've always had computers around, I didn't necessarily get to use them until like the Commodore 64. That definitely changed things. And what changed things with the Commodore 64, more so than like I remember having, you know, some Atari 8-bit machines. And they were great for gaming and all that. And gaming is so fucking crucial to my life. Okay. I enjoy it to no end. Oh, baby. I've already been playing that 20th anniversary of Duke Nukem 3D. And it is simply marvelous. <laughs> I, that, that was a weird. I don't know who I was trying to shoot for there. Maybe it's the Sean Connery, like, oh, you must be joking, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, but it was uh, just a, man, the Commodore 64. Uh, yeah, so so the Ataris, they were great for gaming and all that. Gaming's great. But the, with the Commodore 64, that was the first time I ever saw a computer where I was like, oh, I can make things. You know, you could draw. I mean, you were doing it all with, like, keyboard commands. But I remember I, my older brother, Wally, he was uh, he was actually, like, he was drawing a snowmobile which was, I mean, that was just wild. I mean, in New York, totally makes sense. Um, you know, it was, it was really something. The Commodore 64 is, you know, where I really kind of broke my chop, or, you know, uh, not broke my chops, uh, earned my chops. Is, is that the phrase? But uh, the first computer that, like, was ever really mine, like, that, that, like, the Commodore 64 was for the whole family. The first computer that was really mine was this 386SX. And when I finally got it, uh, you know, I wasn't even a teenager yet, but when I finally got it, like the appeal for me to use that was writing. Like at that point in my life I had gotten, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking nine, 10, 11 years old. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, at that time, like I wanted to, all I wanted to do was write and write and write and write. I would fill notebooks. I had tons of notebooks that I, that, you know, sat under, under my bed from just me writing all the time. Uh, you know, and so t to see like a computer where in, and to have, like I was using Win windows three, one at the time, uh, you know, to have Microsoft word effectively and, or WordPad, whatever at the time, like, I mean, that was just revolutionary. It's like, Oh, this doesn't waste paper. I could just keep storing it. This could last forever. And I'd make, you know, I'd constantly make, you know, floppy disk copies of, of everything that I'm, that I made and wrote, you know, and I would use Microsoft paint and all this different stuff. Gaming was great too, because, you know, that's when like some of the great star Trek games come out like 25th anniversary and judgment rights, uh, X wing and tie fighter and all that. Uh, but you know, that was nice. But why I got into computing really, was to write you know that that was it and then when the internet hit when i remember getting prodigy this would have been like in 95 96 something like that when i finally got on to prodigy that was my first thing before i i realized oh wait a minute i don't need this closed garden shit i'm just gonna you know i i there was a company it was called ntc net was was the the, the first isp that i really went through it was you know dial up days you know, I had a 14.4 and upgraded to a 28.8, eventually got an external U.S. Robotics 56K modem. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's how much this stuff sticks with you. Um, you know, did I did all of that. Uh, but, you know, when, when the Internet hit, like that just there was a new place from, you know, I could show all my text to the world. And that that was that was so exciting. But something else happened really when the Internet hit. And that's when I got into computer security. Because, I mean, very quickly, I found out about forums, you know, online forums and all this. And at the same time, the movie Hackers came out and, you know, you watch that. And I've talked about this before on uh, on past uh, Patreon Q&A episodes. But 
you know, you see that and you're like, I want to be that. I want to do that. <laughs> so that's definitely what, what piqued my interest. And then you find these forums like, I mean, there used to be, oh, there was hackers.com uh, or, you know, there, there was a bunch of different websites that not written hackers. I don't mean related to the movie, but there's a bunch of different websites that you could find. I mean, you know, there was like the LOA Legion of Apocalypse. I mean, there's a bunch of different like hacker groups at the time. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into too much detail on, on what I did with a lot of that, but just saying that, you know, you could read about it. It was there. You could download, you know, a lot of manuals on stuff. I mean, it, it was just, and there were so many great guides at the time, you know, for war driving and all that. I mean, just, it, it was such, such a fucking amazing time. So really, you know, kind of, kind of to answer the, um, I guess the second part about, or, you know, the second part of the, of the question or, you know, the overall question, you know, was it by reading computer security books or hands-on experience? I'll just say it was hands-on. I won't go into the depths of that, but I'll just say that it, it was very hands-on. And, you know, I talk about this all the time. You know, on paper, I mean, I like, okay, I don't look bad. I've worked for a few tech companies, you know, but on paper, you know, I don't think most people would expect that I'm a guy that does, a, you know, a fairly popular tech podcast. Um, but the reason that I, I feel like I can't let a lot of people ask me that it's like, how are you so passionate? How do you do this? You know, sovereign tech, like, like, how do you talk with such confidence? I mean, th those are serious questions I get from great people. Okay. Who are also great podcasters and all this. And, you know, my answer is just as simple. It was, just, it's just a generational thing. I grew up learning about like these, these technologies as they were being developed were the hot shit. And so I grew up, I mean, you know, I had all the time in the world to learn about it. You know, once I was out of school or, you know, when, once the, the school day was done, uh, I mean, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, I, like I even I'll, I'll admit this. I even did like fake credit cards with, uh, you know, like there, there used to be software where you could generate credit card numbers. And there was a point where eventually Prodigy kind of caught up with me. <laughs> I mean, not that I needed to. I could have, you know, even at a younger age, I, I, I could have afforded a Prodigy bill. But. You know, like it, they sent a bill and like my mother flipped out, you know, I also I had an uncle who I ended up working for for a little while uh, at a company called more tech. But I had an uncle who he, um, you know, was really into computing like he was really into it. Like he was one of those, you know, Alice Cooper, let's hit this. And, uh, you know, I mean, he 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 he's taught at colleges and all that. I, I, I won't go into too much depth there. But he also taught me a lot of that. He, in fact, he was <laughs> he's the one that got in trouble because he was the one that showed me the credit card software. <laughs> Ooh, uh -huh. mm. Anyway, <laughs> if you ever want me to talk about some like you know, just some wild stories, ones I'm willing to admit to, uh, you know, from my more teenage years, I guess we'll say I'll talk about them. I'll share them if you, if you want to, but you got to ask me, otherwise I'm not going to bore you with that shit. Uh, but anyway, so, so computer security, I mean, it just, it became a thing, uh, you know, for me, like it was interesting. It started off with, okay, I want to be like the, you know, I want to be like zero cool, but then, you know, if you have the time, you actually get to learn the real shit. Of course, you find out very quickly the movie Hackers is total bullshit. But, you know, the style's still there. <laughs> you know, all the good times are still there. Uh, so that's really how I got into that. Um, it, it literally just came down to, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Um, and there being a lot of, like, at the time, like, for example, okay, there's a lot of people uh, 
my age who are actually pretty good at doing HTML coding. They don't know any other coding whatsoever, but they're pretty good with HTML. Now, why is that? Because when they were growing up, you know, like maybe they downloaded Netscape Navigator in, in the 90s and Netscape Navigator had a great web page builder built into it. Great for the time. Of course, we're talking the 90s here. Um, and they learned HTML because at the time, HTML was so fucking basic. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you know, backslash P and, you know, all, all, all that shit. OK. Uh, and they still, you know, they've held on to that knowledge. But, you know, sometimes it looks like they can do magic today just because they've held on to this knowledge from when they were growing up on how to do, you know, very simple HTML. I mean, now HTML is just, oh, I mean, it, it's such, you know, it's crazy. Okay. Uh, but I mean, it, you know, at its foundation, it's, it's still pretty solid. So that, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, I learned, I was able to learn a lot because I grew up in a very foundational time frame for computers and computer security. Uh, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And, and I hate that answer. That's not to say you can't learn as well. I mean, people can go to, you know, classes, they can go to, uh, uh what's that it, uh, it TV or something like that. I think it's it TV. Uh, you know, there's great You don't have to go to college. Do not go to college. Okay. Uh, you know, there's, there's great places where you can take courses and you can get accredited. You can, you know, you can get a, a various certificates, you know, you can get a certified ethical hacker certificate. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could get. Uh, and, and those are great, you know, to, to be able to have. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I've read a lot of books now, like even more modern books on computer security, of course, especially I've done a lot of research in the past couple of years on quantum uh, cryptography and all that. Uh, but, yeah, you know, that that's that's really just what it comes down to. I mean, there are books out there where you can learn about it. But honestly, a lot of the books, if you want to learn about computer security, you more or less want to learn about programming. Like, I think that's really important. And I mean, there's there's books that have been out for 30, 40 years that I consider absolutely essential. Uh, the Art of Programming, that in and of itself, I think it's on its second or third edition now is still the best book in the world to read about programming. And by default, you, you know, you kind of learn about computer security because you understand how this, how exploits happen. <laughs> uh, so that, that's, that's it. I mean, and then obviously, you know, I ended up working for a lot of different companies and some of it, you know, I learned on the job training. Of course, I was also, you know, learned quite a bit when I was in the U S military. Uh, so there's a lot of on the job stuff too. Uh, but the best way, you know, I mean, getting kids on board with this stuff, you know, there's so many like I'll give Apple credit for this. Um, they have that that Swift learning app on iPads, I think, where like you can literally learn how to program with Swift, those kind of directions and to work because kids can use that and they can go to town and they can be programming shit, you know, in no time. Th that direction of teaching kids how all this stuff works is just so key. You know, let kids see. how, And it's it's a pity because, like I said, how those kids that grew up, you know, with HTML and all this, right, you know, learning HTML. Uh, you know, you, I don't think you can, not like you could in the nineties. I don't think you can see the direct results of what you do, of the coding that you do. Not, not with like a, a great immediate payoff, like building a website. Um, I mean, and you know, learning WordPress is great, but the, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of that's all plugins and you're still gonna have to learn HTML to customize a lot of that shit anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, I think apps kind of like that Swift app, you know, for, for the iPad and everything. Like, I think those are great directions to go to where it's an environment where kids absolutely can see, or not just kids, adults too, can absolutely see the, uh, you know, the, 
what uh, what they've wrought, <laughs> you know, by messing with the app. Um, so I hope that answers that question. Uh, there was a second part of that question. I'm not going to get into it now because I don't want this to really go over an hour. Um, boy, a lot of people, and maybe I'll have to get into this next week. I had a lot of people message me about talking about threesomes last week. Uh, I may get into that more in a future Q and a, maybe I could even, well, I don't know, maybe I could have a guest or something that, that could talk about it a bit too. I mean, because, you know, I can't really talk like, it's not really for me to say, because some people ask, it's like, well, what if, you know, you want a you know, a homosexual threesome, like what if you want three guys or, you know, three gals or whatever, uh, you know, or more. Um, yeah, I'm not the best person to speak for that, you know? So I know what I, what I was talking about last week came off as very hetero, you know, heteronormative or whatever, uh, or maybe not normal because threesomes aren't normal yet, <laughs> if ever. And that's all up to people's choice. But, um, you know, I, I know it was, it was very hetero, but that's just, that's my personal experience. So that's where I feel comfortable talking. I don't want to, you know, not that I'm an authority on anything, but I don't want to talk like an authority about stuff that really, I have no business, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, talking about, I mean, you know, what I was talking about with consent should work across any gender, you know, Z and, and male, female, whatever. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but other than that, you know, I can only give specifics based upon, you know, what I've experienced. That's the, I don't, I don't like to talk out of my ass, quite frankly. I think a lot of people think I do, uh, not, not about threesomes, but you know, sometimes about other things like on a, on a main sovereign tech episode. No, I, I don't. Uh, and if I am, I, if I'm just speculating, I, I make it very clear that I speculate anyway. Uh, let's, so I may get into the threesome thing in a, in a future episode, or, you know, I might talk about that more because I did have some questions on that, but, um, I did have a couple people complain. So, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, I love all the Patreon subscribers. I love you. You know that all the listeners, I love you. Um, but you know, it's me <laughs> like, like, what do you expect? I mean, I'm doing a whole series on hentai for Patreon. I mean, do you think threesomes are, you know, somehow out of, out of the question? I mean, come on. So anyway, uh, let's get into this uh, last, I'm going to have some fun. We got a bit of a geeky one here and we're going to talk about Star Wars. So <laughs> I don't know how often I'm ever going to bring this up, but I, you know, I'm going to title it kind of the Star Wars update that I'll do every once in a while. And I mean, every once in a great while, like even if it was once a month, that'd be almost too much. Uh, but you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, it's not my favorite franchise that title belongs to say Babylon five or Star Trek. Uh, but it's definitely up there. I mean, Star Wars is, is the shit, you know, <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, I, you know, I've said many a time that if aliens came down to earth and not that I think they ever have or will, but if they did and they said, okay, you show us the greatest thing you've, the greatest work of art you've ever created or we'll blow up your planet. I would without thinking twice, you know, with as much confidence as I can muster, I would hand them over, uh, you know, the, the Star Wars saga, you know, at least the original trilogy, if not the rest. Um, so because, I mean, it's just that great, you know, even though it's not my top notch, it's, it's, you know, it's not the top of the heap for me. And it's not the top of the heap for me because, you know, it's Disney owned folks. And that really means that it's never going to be able to explore the entirety of, you know, the human condition as to where Star Trek can, you know, speaking of threesomes, Kirk can have a threesome star Wars. You're probably never going to see that. Probably might get a hint, but it'll be an incredibly subtle hint. 
if that, you know, of, of that sort of thing ever really happening. I mean, you could say, well, Jabba probably had that. Well, probably, but, <laughs> but that was pre-Disney. Okay. Uh, so, and I'm not knocking it. I like a lot of what Disney's doing. Some things I don't like, but whatever so you know star wars really i don't think can be the top and i know it's funny people are like how can you say something's actually better it's art it's all subjective no yeah i mean yes art is subjective in many ways but there is art that is limited to what it is allowed to express by say a company or a person or whatever and then there's art that you know can just run the gamut and you know star wars is not one of those ones that can run the gamut uh, really, even though really, if, and this has been true for star Wars really since there's ever a star Wars, star Wars is, and, and Disney's really like, they've ramped this up. Disney is really taking kind of every great story or every great fictional archetype. And they're just baking it into one universe. Uh, you know, I mean, like in rebels, they did that enemy mine episode, um, you have, oh, it's tough to think of a specific example right now, but like a lot of different like character stuff that like, or, you know, like even like famous kind of detective, classic detective style characters and all that would end up appearing like in Clone Wars and all this, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a giant melting pot of, of fictional archetypes. You know, I mean, that's that's really what what Star Wars, you know, is now in many ways. In fact, I mean, it's ripping off of itself when you look at the fact that obviously The Force Awakens, you know, plays a lot of the same notes as uh, New Hope. Not that I'm necessarily saying that's a bad thing. OK, notes as in like, you know, storyline, blah, blah, blah. But it's there. OK, let's just let's be honest about it. Uh, anyway, so. Yeah, so I'm just explaining why Star Wars isn't isn't at the top, top, top of the heap for me, because I just feel like that there's places that it will never go as a fictional universe. And that's a shame because it has the greatest tapestry of them all, you know, to to be able to, you know, has the greatest canvas to be able to do all of that. And it's just you're likely not going to see it. Um, But anyway, so Star Wars update and what I want to talk about, I just want to talk about what's going on you know, give a little bit of a personal review. I've done this a few times on main episodes of Sovereign Tech. Uh, but, you know, just, just kind of say, hey, you know, these are the exciting things happening or the not so exciting. Uh, and I'll start off with, I actually, I just read, I mean, and this just came out yesterday. I'm recording this on October 12th. It came out October 11th. Boy, October 11th, ton of shit came out yesterday. Uh, great stuff, you know, all, all the way around. That new, let me tell you, before I talk about what came, the book that came out yesterday, that Batman, the new uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders, which is the animated movie based off of the 1966 TV series where they actually had Julie Newmar, Burt Ward and Adam West do the voice acting and everything. That movie just came out yesterday digitally. It is so fucking good. It is so funny. It is so sexy. And I think I mean, yeah, granted, I'm biased because I'm a huge fan of the 66 Batman, but I. I really think that it delivered for anybody like anybody could watch that and get a whole ton of laughs. There's even some honestly, there's some, you know, jabs at the establishment, in my opinion. Uh, like there was a great line where it says where, where Robin says something like, you know, they're they're about to jaywalk. And Batman says, oh, no, 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 no. You know, we're not going to jaywalk. That's illegal. Robin says, gosh, you're right, Batman, you know. Or, or Batman says to him that, you know, when we're enforcing or yeah, how, how does it go? No, Robin says when you're enforcing the law, you know, even you, you shouldn't break the law, even when you're enforcing the law. Now, I don't give a shit about laws. I'm an anarchist. But the point being is that like it's funny because cops break the law nonstop. 
you know, to supposedly to enforce the law. So it was a nice little jab there. Like it was funny. You got to be listening for it, but it's there. Anyway, that movie was was just phenomenal. I'm, I'll probably do a full review in a future uh, main episode or prime episode of uh, of Sovereign Tech. So anyway, Star Wars, uh, the book that came out. Book is titled Ahsoka uh, by EJ. Oh, now I can't remember her name, but this is her first Star Wars book. It's technically a junior novel. Um, the, the beauty of it is well, how I actually read it is I listened to it uh, because in the audiobook version, Ashley Eckstein actually she she read, you know, she she did the unabridged reading, uh, which that's the voice of Ahsoka. So it was a really unique way to experience the story. Uh, and it, it was, you know, it was pretty good. The, the second half is definitely where you where where the good times roll a bit better, uh, where things get a little more serious. I like you definitely more so than it, this is ironic because there's been a really a deluge of kind of young adult fiction for Star Wars, all of which have gotten great audio or most of which have gotten great audiobook uh, treatments at that. Like uh, was there Smuggler's Weapon or Luke? Luke Skywalker's weapon smugglers run. There's that princess Leia book, uh, lost stars, of course is just shy of probably the best, uh, star Wars book from the new Canon that started, uh, you know, when Disney bought it out, they, they restarted the Canon. Um, but yeah, this one is definitely feels way more young adult as to where those other books, like including lost stars, lost stars is one of the rare moments in star Wars history where there's mention of breasts and there's, you know, sex, not necessarily explicit. I mean, it's explicitly stated that it's happening, but you know, I mean, it just, Claudia Gray's phenomenal. So, but the Ahsoka book, I mean, you can feel like it's, it's kind of geared towards the, the kids a bit through at least the, the first half of it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was good. It, it's worth a listen. Some very interesting things kind of get discovered. Uh, this isn't a spoiler at all, but the one of the best things about the book, and this is really the best thing about a lot of the, not the expanded universe, but more the the expanded media uh, for Star Wars, you know, outside of the movies or even the TV shows, is that you find out these little hints of of canonicity. Like in this book, they make it very clear that stormtroopers are largely not clone troopers. Some of the stormtroopers are still like clone troopers, you know, based off of Django Fett, right. That you're used to in the clone wars, but most of them are now like new hires and, and all of this, uh, which was cool. Also recently in rebels, you also found out that there are definitely female tie pilots, which was, I thought that was pretty cool to find that out too. Um, because some people, I mean, you know, I remember like the stormtrooper thing's a big deal. Uh, I remember the, what was it? Power of the force. Was that the name of the, there was a toy line series back in 97 or 96 and 97. And well, it went on for a while. Actually, it went on all the way up to episode one and beyond, I think. Uh, but that there was a super popular toy line because star Wars toys hadn't been made in a while. Remember this is just coming out of the dark times, uh, where we didn't have any new star Wars. And on the back of the card for the Stormtrooper action figure, this would have been 1997. Okay, very important to you know keep the time in context. It said that it's theorized that the that Stormtroopers are actually clones. Now, of course, with the Disney new canon, that doesn't have to be a fact. But they were just they were saying it was theorized anyway. And there was already a lot of fiction like Tales from Osisley Cantina, where you know you you knew that at least some of the Stormtroopers certainly weren't clones. Uh, but yeah, now you you have it more matter of fact that 
these are, you know, the clone troopers eventually did get phased out. Um, and just your everyday people were signing up to become stormtroopers. I mean, you are, you already sort of knew that with rebels because, uh, what was it not Kanan, uh, Ezra, the young boy, the younger person on the show, uh, Ezra, you know, in the, was it the first season, I think has a point where he goes through training to become a stormtrooper and all this. So, so you sort of already knew that, but this was like really, really blatant of what happened with the clones. Well, they got phased out. But anyway, the book itself, yeah, it's worth a read. I mean, and, and if you listen to the audiobook, and if you listen to it the way I do, like I usually listen to audiobooks anywhere between, depending on the narrator, like if William Shatner is actually narrating, like his new book, Zero G, fucking awesome. Uh, you know, I'll listen to it at 1.5. Uh, if it's, if it's something I really want to make sure I'm getting like the fine details on, I, you know, I'll do two uh, X, you know, 1.5 X, you know, sped up. And generally, if it's a Star Wars book, I can do 2.3 or even 2.5 X. So I got through the book inside of like three hours. <laughs> like, like as soon as it came out, like I had it listened to in no time and, you know, and I was done and it's on a bridge. So you, I didn't miss anything. Uh, but that that's a great way, you know, to experience a lot of audiobooks. Of course, with Star Wars, it's a very different deal because like Star Wars experiencing the new audiobooks, especially these are full on radio theatrical productions. They're not just audiobooks. They are better than the novels in every single way. Like they are the way to take on these stories, in my opinion, uh, because actually I think Star Wars sucks in the written word. I mean, that doesn't mean there's been that, that there haven't been great books. There has been great books, but like the one thing that was always more popular than the books were like the comic books for Star Wars. Uh, and you know, that was true, I think, because Star Wars is such a visual medium. You really want to see, you want to see the age. I mean, you can describe it and you can be creative in your head. I know that. Uh, and I think it's wonderful to do it that way. But I'm just saying that it doesn't lend itself as well. It's where, like, when you read Star Trek novels, like Star Trek, Star Trek is the opposite. Star Trek novels are great. Star Trek comic books are kind of touch and go because you don't get to spend as much time describing, you know, a lot of what's going on and a lot of the science and nuances where Star Wars doesn't bother itself with the science. So I don't think it really needs to be in the written medium. Uh, so, you know, experiencing these Star Wars stories in audiobooks is definitely the way to go. Uh, so Ahsoka was pretty good, especially if you can listen to it in three hours. I can think of much worse ways to spend three hours, so it doesn't hurt to do that. Um, it is lower on my list. Sorry, I've read every new Star Wars book. Uh, well, actually, I've read every Star Wars book, but but I've read every new Star Wars book, you know, from the new canon since Disney took over. Uh, I got to say... My favorite, it's a toss up between Dark Disciple and Lost Stars. Those two are are phenomenal. Dark Disciple is the one about Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Vos, uh, or Quinlan Vos. Fucking amazing book. Kind of predictable, but just just a sexy, you know, just a really, really great uh, read. Bloodlines is pretty good. I don't know if I talked about Bloodlines on, on Sovereign Tech at all. That's the one that has to do right before or just a few years before The Force Awakens. It largely has to do with Princess Leia. I thought that was a fine book. That's definitely up on my list. Tarkin, Lords of the Sith. If I were to rank them down, I'd probably like I'd probably do maybe Lost Stars or Dark Disciple. That's tough to choose which is the best out of those. But then under that, Tarkin, Lords of the Sith, and then probably uh, Bloodlines. And then everything else underneath is just kind of a mishmash. You know, the Battlefield book's pretty good. But anyway, uh, so do check out the Star Wars audiobooks, especially if you can get caught up now because there's the new there's the prequel 
book. Don't not it's not a prequel. It just takes place before. <laughs> okay, there's a prequel book to Rogue One, which comes out in December, uh, called Cataclysm, which is coming out like second week in November. So if you can get caught up on all the books by listening to them at two point three x, do so. <laughs> all right, I mean you won't be disappointed. They they are really largely they're telling great stories. Uh, the aftermath books are a little tough to get through, but everything else especially the Claudia Gray stuff. Um, and I thought Dark Disciple is really good. If you're a fan of Clone Wars, uh, you know, just out of the park. I, I, I think it's really good. Uh, so the comic books, for me, the recent comic books that Marvel's been doing, there's been some great ones like Lando. I already talked about that in the previous Sovereign Tech. I've, I've found them to be kind of lackluster. Like the new Han Solo comic's pretty good, but otherwise, a lot of them are a little, they're kind of boring. Like I, I actually... Normally, historically, like I would keep up to date on these. Like when they come out on Wednesday, I'd read them that Wednesday. I've held off because, you know, you're not, you're not getting like a complete story inside of it. You got to wait five, six. This is the big problem with a lot of the Star Wars comic books is that they don't give you the payoff for like six months. And that is just too fucking long for for like a mystery or for the payoff. Like, I mean, that is such horseshit. You know, but there's like Shattered Empire was good. Uh, the Lando series is good. The Han Solo series has been, you know, better than than what else has, has come up lately. But uh, and like the one shots in the Star Wars comic, the, the main Star Wars title have been really good. But otherwise, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I got to finish up the Darth Vader series. I'll get to that probably that well soon. But Anyway, uh, now, as far as uh, Rebels, that's the last bit I want to get into as far as the Star Wars update goes. Um, and probably the next time I do a Star Wars update, it'll probably be when Rogue One comes out and I will talk about Rogue One. In fact, I'll probably spend I'll do what I did with The Force Awakens, where I took half of a prime episode of Sovereign Tech and reviewed the whole thing. Because, like I said, in, in recent episodes of, of Patreon Q&As, there's the possibility that Rogue One could be the greatest Star Wars movie of all time. And it could change the way that we, you know, that we think about A New Hope. It could actually make A New Hope a great movie because I don't think A New Hope is a great movie. Uh, I mean, just there's a lot of potential there and and it could be very different, very cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But, you know, speaking of kind of changing the way we look at Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Rebels, and I said I was going to get to, so we're in season three right now. Of course, Thrawn is back. Fucking exciting as shit. <laughs> I, you know, to see that blue skin show up on screen. Oh, man, that is, you know, that is 15 year old me just just screaming, you know, jumping up and down with excitement. It's, it's really it's so awesome. And that they're doing a great job with that. Um, I love overall what they're doing with Rebels. They had Wedge Antilles appear. You kind of got the origin of Wedge Antilles last week which I thought was really cool. They're starting to play with, uh, you know, bring Sabine, Sabine Wren more into the mix, who I, I think is a great character. Uh, you know, I dig the whole Mandalorian stories. Those were particularly good in the Clone Wars. Um, I'm, I'm really digging it, w- what they're doing with Rebels. I, I think, I think they're, they've, they've got a winning mixture uh, going on there. And, you know, one of the things, though, that I think is kind of changing with Star Wars, and I've talked about this briefly before, but I see this as I'm going to kind of do a little bit of prediction uh, for you here because I see this as a direction that that they seem to be steering everything. And that is, is that this idea of the light side and the dark side of the force, I think we're going to find out as episode eight and episode nine come around that that is like 
some kind of misconstrued, some kind of bastardization of what the force actually is. Like you have the character in, in season three of rebels, uh, the Bendu being voiced by the great Tom Baker, of course, who, uh, most people think of when they think of Dr. Who most, uh, most people that actually watched that have really watched Dr. Who over the years. Anyway, uh, he's doing a great job. And the Bendu talks about how he's, he's in the middle. Like, you know, he's not light. He's not dark. He's not, you know, a Jedi. He's not a Sith. He's kind of in the middle. And also Clone Wars and Rebels, both shows, and of course, both run by Dave Filoni. They are, they have both kind of pushed or you know, pushed this notion that there are people that are force users that are not Jedi or Sith. They are something else. Okay, whether or not they use the dark side primarily, kind of like the Night Sisters, you know, of Dathomir, or you know, kind of like a Saj Ventress's character, or something like that, or you know, or or I don't know, some other like benign force user, whatever. Uh, but there's definitely a push in that direction, and I and I talked about this, I think, when I did the big review of Star Wars: The Force Awakens on that Prime episode of Sovereign Tech back in December when, uh, well, when it came out. Um, you know, I was like, I think there's a point to why both Ray and Luke are wearing gray at the end of that movie, because, you know, that's the mix between, you know, white and black. You know, the the light and the dark is the gray. Right. Kind of reminds me of Babylon five. We are gray. Remember the gray council? We stand between the darkness and the light. I love that. Uh, so maybe they're playing with that. And I think that that's something that's that's going to end up happening, because what's really happening in Rebels, too, is you have and I've talked about this before, but you have, you know, where Yoda is like appearing in visions and saying that the Jedi were were wrong to to have fought the Clone Wars uh, that, you know, and you had at the end of a uh, season five of Clone Wars where where Barris Ophi was she was saying, you know, look, you're working for the dark side. You, you know, you've all been seduced by the dark side. This war is, is terrible. And when you read the book Tarkin. Spoiler alert, folks. Okay. When you read the book Tarkin, you find out, I, I've mentioned this on Sovereign Tech before, though, that underneath the Jedi Temple, there's a whole Sith Temple and that it was infecting the Jedi effectively. Uh, or at least that's kind of how the how the theory goes. So you're really getting this narrative out there that the Jedi are not the good guys at all. And in fact, there was uh, they did a Rebels Recon, which is kind of like this. Um, it's really a required watching, in my opinion, if you're a big time Star Wars fan. If you watch Rebels, it's worth spending the 10 minutes to watch Rebels Recon, which is on the Star Wars YouTube channel. And Rebels Recon, they just kind of cover what happened in the in the episode and everything. And usually they give you a lot of great insights. And one of the insights that Dave Filoni was giving in this recent one is that they is he said that the Jedi don't have compassion or, you know, like they, they had this lack of compassion. Now, a little bit of problem with that, because what that book I mentioned earlier, one of my favorites, Dark Disciple, Quinlan Vos, Vos talks about often how he has compassion at various points. So there's sort of a little problem there, but then again, also sort of, you know, the, the, that last or last few episodes of season five of the clone wars, um, you know, they, there's a point where Anakin is telling Ahsoka, you know, says, Hey, uh, you know, not every Jedi agrees with this war. There's a lot of different ways that Jedi's, you know, that the Jedi think, uh, so maybe there's Jedi that do have compassion, but largely the council, you know, never, you know, or didn't act with much compassion. Certainly like Mace Windu is the guy's a fucking asshole. When you read like, a, you know, a lot of the books and the comics and all this, you know, even the new canon, like you find out this guy, I mean, that dude was just a jerk. <laughs> like, like he, he, he wants to start assassinating people and all. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. Uh, but anyway, you know, speaking of that, I just want, I'm going to take, I'll, I'll finish this up. I just want to say 
season three of rebels is fantastic. The whole show has been really, really good. Uh, they definitely brought it up to that more grown up level with season three, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, I hope what do, my guess is, is that Filoni has some pretty major storylines that he wants to, that he wants to do with rebels that maybe he hasn't even gotten to yet. Okay. He's obviously gotten to some, but he hasn't gotten to all. My hope is, is that he allows them to play out more than he did with Clone Wars. Because in Clone Wars, so I, I you know, I think you can watch, if you're a big, if like, if you're a really serious Star Wars fan, yeah, you want to watch Clone Wars, okay? But even I'll, you know, I'll kind of concede this. You could, there is an episode guide, I think, that could be made, and maybe even like an edit that could be done to where you could turn the entire Clone Wars uh, a TV series into like a trilogy of movies, you know, maybe you'd have the Mortis trilogy, you know, like as one movie. Uh, and then, you know, there, there's, there's some other storylines, like there's the one, you know, the, the Mandalorian war and all, all this, you know, when Darth Maul comes back and because really the show doesn't take off until Savage, uh, Savage Opress, which is Darth Maul's brother shows up when he shows up, then, you know, things start getting really, really deep and serious. Okay. But there's, I'll admit it, like the first couple seasons, I mean, there's some interesting episodes here and there, but there's nothing really like crucial to your understanding of the Star Wars universe. And there's not like, like the action that happens. So, and I don't know how this happened, but when you get to season five of Clone Wars, right? The, it, this the season opens up. All right. Then it does like this four or five episode fucking like mini story arc with this legion of, of droids with R2 and this little frog character and everything. And it is just like, it, okay, there's some points to it that are kind of funny and I get, it, it's kind of a dirty dozen story. Like I said, star Wars is just taking all of these fictional archetypes and just baking them into one universe. Uh, but it was like, well, you wasted five episodes on that. That should have been one or two at best, or maybe it was four episodes, whatever they, they spent way too much time on that because then the, you know, you get, you end up on the end of the season stretch and those following seven episodes are the best clone wars you can fucking watch. It is, it, it's some of the best star wars you can watch. It is so good. You get, you get the war between, you know, Maul and his art and the Mandalorians, you know, his army, you know, versus, uh, like the other Mandalorians and all this. I mean, you know, you get that intense storyline, you get that fucking badass battle. It was the episode lawless where, you know, Darth Sidious fucking takes Maul and, and Savage to task. Oh shit. <laughs> it was badass, you know. I mean, you get all this great stuff. Then you have, you know, where Barris, uh, Barris Ophid, you know, she bombs the Jedi Temple and everything. Uh, you know, you get that whole storyline, and where Ahsoka kind of goes dark. Uh, oh man, like it's so those those two story arcs that I just described of you know the bombing of the Jedi Temple and Ahsoka, uh, uh, you know, going dark or whatever. Um, or leaving the Jedi, which if you've been watching Rebels and you never watched Clone Wars, you already know that that happened. Um, f- fuck your spoilers. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and that whole, you know, where, where Maul is building an army and everything like that, the Maul story could have been a, an entire season. The, the, the bombing of the temple could have been an, uh, at least half a season. Hell, I think it could have done a whole season. Like they just, they wasted so much time with just dumb ass fucking or some of it is just dumb ass storytelling or not. It's not dumb ass, but it's just like comparatively it's dumb ass comparatively. I mean, it doesn't compare it's it. Oh man. 
So yeah, those last seven episodes of season five, that's what Clone Wars should have been across the board, in my opinion. And it seems like they rushed it. Of course, they thought the show was getting canned, so maybe that's why they rushed it. Kind of what happened with Babylon 5, where they thought season four was going to be the end, so they had to put two storylines into one season. They had to put the Shadow War, and then they had to put the Earth Alliance Civil War into season four, and then they ended up with season five, and they got to cover some other shit. But they didn't know they were going to have a season five, just like maybe... You know, maybe they didn't know they were going to get a season six. And so they tried to jam as much as they could mid season or something. I don't know what happened there, but what a fucking pisser <laughs> because that, that is such great shit. So I'm hoping with rebels, they have a little more certainty as to what's going to happen. Uh, you know, as to what their timeline, how many seasons they're going to have. I mean, the ratings are fine and that we don't end up getting these like really rushed storylines because that would just, I'm sure they'd be great episodes, but that would just suck. If you've got the time, you know, to do a slow build on some of this stuff. Oh, do it <laughs> because they, they dropped the ball on clone wars with that. It's still a good show, but damn the, the, the obvious potential was there because there are great episodes in that series. I mean, that are genuinely just great star Wars. So anyway, there's your star Wars update. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'll do another one. The next one will probably happen when, uh, you know, when, when rogue one comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll cover all that. Uh, but just, just a fun little geeky thing. So, and I've got a ton of Q and a to get to next week. Don't worry. We'll have it to you every Wednesday. I'm really enjoying this and a lot of other people are enjoying it. Everybody's being very participatory and I appreciate that. So enough carpe lucem, everybody. Woo. I'll see you on the other side. And I need to eat something. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.